0: Hi, this is Dave Ise, founder of StoryCorps. Support for our podcast and the following message comes from Morgan Stanley, a proud sponsor of StoryCorps. Morgan Stanley is committed to giving back and to fostering meaningful dialogue among people and communities. MorganStanley.com.
1: Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. When we have our march, you need to be there. If it means leaving work, if it means leaving school, be there. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on track, but either we go up together or we go down together.
2: What you just heard was a piece of the last speech given by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was April 3rd, 1968. And the country was at a tipping point. He would be assassinated the very next day.
3: That was a really devastating time for our country. And it still gets to me when I share it, even though it's over 50 years ago.
2: That's Clara Jean Esther. She was 20 years old when Dr. King gave that speech. She was among the thousands who showed up in Memphis, Tennessee for the sanitation strike and found themselves in the middle of history. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm your host, Camila Kashani. First, we're going to hear from two men who worked for the Memphis Sanitation Department during the 1960s, Taylor Rogers and Elmore Nickelberry. They came to StoryCorps separately— Mr. Rogers in 2005, and Mr. Nickelberry in 2007. But they shared very similar memories about what led to the strike in 1968. Taylor Rogers starts.
4: Our day was awful every day. We had these tubs that we had to put this garbage in. You put that tub on your head or your shoulder, whichever was comfortable for you to bring it out. Most of those tubs had holes in them. That garbage would leak all over you. By the time you got home in the evening, uh, you had to pull out those old dirty clothes where— Maggots had fell all on you.
0: I had maggots run down in my shirts and then maggots to go down in my shoes. And we worked in the rain. Snow, ice, and rain. We had to. If we didn't, we'd lose our job. They said garbage man was nothing.
4: It was awful. And one of the main things that really set us all real good was that two of the workers got crushed in a the compactor. They got in that compactor to get out of the rain. One rainy day and they got in that compactor. And they stripped some kind of lever that crushed him to death.
0: It was rough. We seen some some terrible things in Sometimes you cry. Sometimes you get mad. And get up in the morning, and I say, I ain't going to work. And then see my kids, and I look at them. And then I said "Then I had to go to work because that's the only way I could feed my family.
4: All we wanted was some decency, some dignity. We, we wanted to be treated as men. So we said that this is it, 1,300 sanitation workers. We all decided that we wasn't going to take no more. Uh, you know, if you bend your back, people will ride you back. But if you stand up straight, people can't ride you back. So that's what we did. We just stood up straight and said, I am a man.
2: Was Taylor Rogers and Elmore Nickelberry? When Taylor came to StoryCorps, he spoke with his wife, Bessie Rogers. They took some time to remember what it was like being at Mason Temple during Dr. King's "I've Been to the Mountaintop" speech, the same one you heard at the top of this episode.
4: I mean, it was wall to wall with people, and it was storming and raining. He preached, and he said that. All. I've been to the mountaintop. Oh, yeah. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I looked over and I've seen the promised land. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I might not get there
1: with you. I may not get there with you. We will get there. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land.
3: And he was crying. Tears were rolling down his cheek.
4: Preachers were crying, people were crying, and everybody was crying. And He really talked that night. I mean, he really, really talked. You could tell by the expression on his face and the feeling and, and the sound of his voice that he knew something was going to happen. He said, because uh, I'm not fearing any man.
1: I'm not fearing any man. <laughs> Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
4: <laughs> Next day, he was killed. You know, it's kind of like you lost a part of your family. You just really can't describe it. He stopped everything, put everything aside to come to Memphis to see about the people on the bottom of the ladder, the sanitation workers. After his death, we marched. Uh, You couldn't hear a sound. You couldn't hear nothing but leather against pavement. It was just some terrible days back then, but uh, with God's help, we came through. And it means something to know that you was a part of this.
2: That's Taylor Rogers with his wife, Bessie, in Memphis, Tennessee. Since their recording, Taylor and Bessie Rogers have both died. Mr. Nickelberry retired from the Memphis Sanitation Department in 2019 after more than six decades of service. After a short break, we'll hear from another person who was there for that speech and was also there the day Dr. King was killed. Stay with us.
0: I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. This message comes from NPR sponsor Subaru, introducing the all-new 2022 Subaru Forester Wilderness, equipped with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, 9.2 inches of ground clearance, and all-terrain tires. Discover more at Subaru.com wilderness.
2: Next, we'll hear from Memphis native Clara Jean Esther, who was a college student in 1968. She recorded through StoryCorps Connect to share her memories of that time. One morning, she stopped by Claiborne Temple. That was the headquarters for the Memphis sanitation strike. And even though she was already involved, she witnessed something there that would inspire her to fully commit herself to the movement.
3: One day, these women were fixing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and setting them aside with oatmeal cookies that they were going to give sanitation workers. And so I helped them for a while and they gave me a bag. So I took it and I went and picketed that day and came back to the church early before the mass meeting would start. So I was in the sanctuary and this mother and two children came and asked if they could sit. So I got up and let them in. And at some point I reached in the bag to pull the sandwich out. And the children were looking at me so hard I asked the mother, can they have the sandwich? And then I handed her the two cookies. And I watched her break that sandwich into fourths. And she gave each child a fourth of the sandwich. And they all ate it. But she wrapped that last fourth in the bag. And that night, they were introducing the I Am A Man logo for the sanitation strike. And later, this one worker was up there talking about his condition, saying that he didn't know how long they'll be in their house, that utilities were being cut off. And then he looked at the sign and he said, I am a man. And he kept saying it and it kept getting louder and louder. And I remember him just shouting it out with tears flowing down his face. I am a man. And when he came off the stage, He walked down the aisle and asked me to excuse him so he could pass and sit next to his family. And so he sat down and the wife handed him that quarter of a sandwich and that half of that cookie. And I knew from that day that there was nothing that would stop me from standing up and fighting and trying to get justice for these men that were being treated like nobody. And from that day on, there was not a mass meeting. There was not a day I didn't pick it. There was not a time that I wasn't present for anything that was going on with the sanitation strike in matches.
2: Like Taylor and Bessie Rogers, Clara was there when Dr. King gave his final speech. And she also happened to be there the next day, April 4th, 1968 for the moment that changed history, when Dr. King was assassinated.
3: We pull up to the Lorraine Motel, get out the car, go in, and then later, Dr. King actually comes out of his room. And I'm standing there, looking up at him, leaning on the balcony, and he's chatting with everybody down below. And then all of a sudden, what sounded like a truck backfiring goes off, And I can hear people saying, get down, get down. But I'm looking still at Dr. King. I saw him being thrown back. And I take off and I run up the steps. And when I get up to where he's laying, I notice this pool of blood around his head. I try to take a pulse, but it's so very faint. And he still had a smile on his face. His eyes were open and looking up. And I think he was envisioning that mountaintop. All I could hear was, I may not get there with you. I may not get there with you from the night before. When the word came that Dr. King was dead, hate kind of took over. Hate that white America don't want to see us with freedom. So you take out our leader our King, and you think that that's going to destroy his dream, y'all are wrong, because I think children, years and years to come, will continue to have this dream. I want to believe that Dr. King's life changed everything, and we live in this wonderful country now, but since 1968, I have seen repeated violence. I witnessed George Floyd and so many others that have lost their lives. So we still got to work on bringing more love and justice to our country before we can become happy with anything.
2: That was Clara Jean Esther in Mobile, Alabama. In 1991, the Lorraine Motel, where Dr. King was killed, was turned into the National Civil Rights Museum. And finally, we want to leave you with the end of Dr. King's speech. You heard a part of it earlier, but we want you to hear it in its entirety.
1: Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
2: That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. To read about the music you just heard and to see original artwork created by Lynn Lucia, go to storycore.org. This episode was produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, Abe Selby, and Judd S.D. Kendall. Our executive editor is Jasmine Morris. Our technical director is Jarrett Floyd, who also composed our theme song. Natsumi Ajisaka is our fact checker. Special thanks to Michael Garofalo, Sally Chum, Stephen Thrasher, and Nick Yelman. The license for use of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech has been granted by Intellectual Properties Management of Atlanta, Georgia, as exclusive licensor of the King Estate. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Camila Kashani. Catch you next week.
3: This podcast is brought to you by supporters of StoryCorps, an independently funded nonprofit organization, and is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.
0: StoryCorps is supported by the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world.